Coming up on today's show. The Browns looked great on Monday night. Just kidding. They got killed. But Joe and I have the answers on how the Browns are going to turn it around. No, we don't. We're just angry and confused like everyone else. Cam Jordan joins the show because Wednesdays are for the players and tells us why the Saints have the two best quarterbacks in the NFC South. Handshakes, flag plants, and more giveaways and a special announcement for the Tomaflock. No, it's not about Cal Shanahan. All of this and much, much more on another Drown Your Sorrows episode of the Tomahawk Show. I am devastated. I would rather be mauled by a thousand bears than watch that. I have a four-week-old at home. Shoot, hold on a second. I think he's crying again. I'm going to make my wife change that one. I've seen enough crap tonight. Joe, Hawk, the pain we felt from tonight's loss, you can't measure that with an abacus. I'm hammered, and it sucks. Go Hawk myself. Hey, what's up, Joe Hawk? This is Eric, man. Uninterrupted. It's levels to this NFL stuff. You guys are maybe a year or two or three, four, maybe even five years away. But um, good luck, good game. Go Niners. It's not right. Mm. It's not right what we're feeling right now, Joe. That's hurtful. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show, presented by Uninterrupted. I'm your host, Andrew Hawkins. Uh, six-year, seven-year NFL veteran. I should start actually giving my two-year CFL back-to-back champion. All right, World oh. Canadian Football League champion. That's how I got to start. I got to start showing love to my other teams where I actually did what win. Did, what did they give you for winning the CFL championship? Do you have a huge bedazzled ring or do they give you like um, a golden maple syrup? Like what, <laughs> what type of celebration do they have up in uh, the, the great white north up there? They gave me a jean suit uh, <laughs> that's embroidered. <laughs> With gold trim. <laughs> the boys from Pardon My Take would really appreciate yep, that. Jean I feel suit like and Molson. They pay a lot of money for that. Molson beer. <laughs> no, I got two huge rings that are worth upwards of $40,000. I got them appraised. Two blinged out. I don't know if I should take you seriously I'm, or if you're no, joking like right this now. Is, they I'm actually being, gave you a ring? Wasn't yes. your salary for the year 40000 So they doubled your salary in well, the two, ring they gave you? It's two rings worth roughly 20000 a piece. Still, that's impressive. I thought yeah. a Super Bowl ring was only worth about $20,000. So they give you a, like a real nice, yes, serious ring. You need to post that on your Twitter. I would Diamond, love to see what that looks Diamonds like. Diamonds and rubies, man. Like, I, I, like they, uh, yeah, they're awesome. They're awesome. I mean, I wear them to NFL events like the Super Bowl and people assume they're <laughs> Super Bowl rings so that, <laughs> that I get a little awesome. bit more respect. They're like, oh, that's a big ring. That's that's a life hack. Remember our first yeah. year we used to do life hacks and yep. we'd talk about like really good things to uh, convince everybody you're better than you are. Yep. That is one of them. That's, that's, a that's amazing. Wear your Canadian Football genius. League championship ring to NFL events. After so now played. all I got to do is go to the CFL <laughs> yes. and play on one of the teams that wins a championship and I can have a, a championship ring and you're everyone's going to think Joe. it's a Super Bowl ring. You're welcome. You, Finally. Learn something new today. There you go. All right. Well, welcome to the Tomahawk Show, everybody. I'm your host, Andrew Hawkins, joined by Joe Thomas, the voice you just heard. One of the best, if not the best, left tackles in NFL history. Um, he's definitely podcaster. the first. Definitely the best. Probably the most losses of any left tackle in NFL history. Is that by far? Do, is that a real stat? It has to be. Yeah, they actually wrote an article about me in my last year in the NFL, and they called me the greatest loser of all time <laughs> wow. because I'd played 10 seasons at that point, made 10 Pro Bowls, 
and never made the postseason and had like over a hundred losses. And I, I can't remember there was a guy in I want to say baseball, maybe, who was also a multi-time all-star and his teams were always crappy. And I don't remember who it was. Maybe yeah. our great research team will be able to come up with that. But uh, yeah, I was definitely up there as one of the greatest losers of all time. So that's how I like to be introduced uh, right after okay. 15-time SB slash Emmy award winner. Yes. Also the greatest loser of all time in the NFL. Yes, yes. We are... Uh We've won many a Peacock Award here on the Tomahawk Show, so we understand that. Uh, if you're listening, follow us on social, at Tomahawk Show, all across social media. Our our Twitter accounts, Instagram accounts, voicemail line have been lighting up, as you can hear, 440-628-1376. Everybody talking about the Monday night football game between the 49ers and the Browns because the Browns took a shellacking. On it on the national scale, and I hate how my phone blows up every time the Browns play bad because I was, I was I was driving the hype train for the Browns because I understood it was, I didn't understand well I didn't know exactly how long it would last so I was trying to get my money's worth. Go ahead, take that one, um, and you can't measure that with an <laughs> abacus. Um, we'll talk. You more can't about just it. say you have to say them in some type of context. You can't I know. Just well, if I don't start, I'm back get fired. one off the other. That doesn't count. <laughs> okay. All right, we'll, we'll erase that from the record. All right, let's start this episode off with our patented dog check. Dog check! Oh, man, that is messed up, oh boy. DJ Chris. That hurts. Yeah, so the uh, <laughs> Browns didn't play well on Monday Night Football against the 49ers. 49ers had their way in every sense of the imagination. Joe, like, what do you, what do you, where are we at right now, bruh? Well, I refuse to allow what happened on Monday night to dictate the happiness which with, with which I live my life okay. on Tuesday, although I was pretty sad. I lost some sleep, um, not because just the Browns lost, but just how it unfolded. You're on a national stage. You're coming off the Ravens game for the Browns, which was a pretty good game. They looked really good. Yeah. I finally thought they had something. They were throwing the ball. Nick Chubb was running the football. I thought they kind of had their formula for success. It seemed like Baker had settled into that offense, and then things went caddy wampus from <laughs> the very beginning of that Browns uh, Monday night game against the 49ers. It looked exactly like Kyle Shanahan probably drew it up in that Saturday meeting. You and I yep, have sat in a lot of those meetings. Kyle Shanahan, drink. <laughs> on Saturdays where Kyle hypes you up. Remember oh, those meetings? Oh, they so were awesome, the, though. So for those of you that haven't sat in a Kyle Shanahan offensive meeting, drink. on Saturdays, he gets everybody in there, which is a little bit unique. Usually on Saturdays, you don't get the whole offense together. You usually break up. Mm -hmm. um, but he likes to get everybody in there. We talk about the openers. And then he'll usually show what's basically a highlight film of the plays that you're going to start the game with. And you running those plays against uh, other teams or sometimes in practice or even sometimes because he'd only been in Cleveland one year, we would see Redskins film because that's where he was before he was with us. Mm -hmm. um, and he would just hype you up. And you walked out of that meeting thinking you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And Dude. he would be like, look at this fucking Andrew Hawkins catching this ball, <laughs> oh. running over two chumps on defense, 10 yards, first down, 
Browns win. And he would go down the line and like hype every single person up. But as he was hyping you up, he was kind of getting your mind into like that positive mindset because you were watching the plays you're going to be executing the next day. And I always thought that it was a good way to kind of get you ready, but get you excited and get you thinking optimistically about that game. Um, and so I, I just know that after that first long run by Brita, which was like what 80, 75 yards for a touchdown or whatever it was. Um, that that was exactly how everyone thought that was going to go when they watched that meeting on Saturday with Kyle. And uh, uh. then it was never any better for the Browns from that moment on. It went sideways fast, and there was nobody on that Browns team who could hit the brakes and get the ship righted and stop the bleeding, which is what you need. And I, honestly, I was talking to some guys today, and I said, the Browns are missing Christian Kirksey more than you know mm-hmm. because he is that leader, especially on that defense. When things are going sideways, everybody looks to him, and he's mm-hmm. the one that will get everybody back on track right away. Yep. Like when that first big long run happens, he's the one that can stop the bleeding, tur- tie the tourniquet around it, get everybody back on track, understanding that all is not lost because they hit one play on you. Yep. Like the game plan is still solid. Everybody keep executing keep giving your effort and they just didn't have anybody that could do that. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And I was supposed to live tweet from the Tomahawk account the entire game uh-huh. and it got into the fourth quarter and I just turned it off. I'm like, I can't take this anymore. My brain hurts. My fingers hurt from tweeting and I don't want to talk. What the hell am I going to say at this point? Like, Oh, another Browns turnover, another San Francisco touchdown. Oh, more mistakes by the Browns. Like it was just so ugly. There was really nothing left to say. And I turned it off and tried to go to bed and then I couldn't fall asleep for like three hours. And honestly, that I mean, it could have been worse because if you take away that the San Fran didn't do well in the red zone when they got down there and they were missing field goals, like there were a lot of drives. Yeah, there was like three field goals. And points that it could have yeah. been a lot worse than what it was. But yeah, I'm with you. And it's funny you said that about Kyle Shanahan meeting drink um, because <laughs> I completely forgot about those Saturday meetings. So you just said that. And when you were saying it, I started getting chills, bro. Not to turn this yeah, into man. a Kyle Shanahan love fest. Drink. But he would do coach. those meetings where, like, typically when you're going into a game, coaches will give you, like, the final plays and coaching points you'll need for the next day. Like, hey, we need you to do this. Make sure you're watching for the safeties. If they rotate this way, here's the play we're going to. And you're right. He would spin it in a way where it was, like, almost like he was tricking your mind into thinking that no matter what happened during the week, you're ready. And you're going to fucking yeah, ball out. That's right. And he'd be like, Hawk, you came into this meeting. And I said or to the season, and I told you I needed you to be the best slot receiver in the in the NFL, and you did that plus them. There's not a slot receiver who has as many yards <laughs> as you. There's not a slot receiver that people are game planning more than you because they can't touch you off the line. And when you get the ball in your hands, you don't run out of bounds. You go get every effing yard because you're a tough son of a bitch, and that's what you're going to be tomorrow. And you'd be in there just shaking, so ready Hawks to in turn. The back. Yeah, he's nodding his head. I'm like, like yeah, drinking all the Kool-Aid. I'm like, I am tough, aren't I? <laughs> Nobody wants it with me. And Meanwhile, yeah. I'm in the front row, and I'm looking back and going, nah, Hawk, you're a scrub, man. I don't know what this dude's talking about. <laughs> like, Hawk, you had 13 no, yards last game. Shut up. <laughs> it's like, Hawk, you had two catches for eight yards. Like, that that ain't championship slot play. I, I, I've seen uh, Julian Edelman play, and that's not what his final stat line is, man. <laughs> No, it's oh. funny that you said that you haven't thought about that because when I ever, whenever I get together with like Mitch Schwartz or Greco or Alex or Joel, that's like 
what we talk about is oh. those Saturday meetings with Kyle and how much he used to pump you up and made you feel so good. And I'll never forget, he always talked about Joel Batonio as a pimp-ass G. Remember yep. that? I do That's what he always that. says. We got this pimp-ass G playing left guard <laughs> who's going to pull around. He's going to level this linebacker. And is he done? Nope. This pimp-ass G is going to get up <laughs> and he's going to run 35 more yards down the field and he's going to level the other safety and he's going to stand over him and he's going to talk shit right in his face and i look over and joel's like a rabbit dog he's like yeah yep. i can't wait i'm gonna kill him that, so much so that in the game when you would have those good plays your mind would go to like oh like, i can't wait till cow pulls this this play up on wait. the fucking big screen baby i'm gonna oh that everyone's great, gonna man. be on me then oh, oh good times all right but gt's seven and nine Best years of my life. Now, now that we're off of that Kyle Shanahan love fest in, in the Dream. most inopportune time for everybody listening, um, the problem with the Browns is they still don't have the identity. And I know we keep talking about this and everyone keeps making this point that they're trying to spread the ball around in ways to keep everybody happy. They got to go back to their foundation. Like I, I don't get why we don't see more quick game out of it and I, and again without being in those meetings because you never really know what the strategy is so i'm not going to sit here and say that whatever freddie kitchens is calling or whatever munkin is working on it doesn't work but i i, I am saying that i want to see receivers line up and run slants every once in a while where it's one two three ball out of your hands odell catch a seven yard slant jarvis catch an eight yard out uh run the stick concept where the tight end is just five yards out you're just delivering quick passes that work down the field because they work like the run game right it gets the ball out of your hand quickly and it's almost like an extension of the run game methodically work your way down the field and don't put baker in these situations and don't play call where he has to sit in the pocket and the routes are 20 yards downfield 30 yards downfield you know 15 yards downfield when it's a, a second and four second and three and those situations because Again, I feel like you're putting too much on Baker. He's still a young quarterback. I don't care how confident he is, how his bravado is, how he ended last year. This is a different team. That is a fact of the matter. Like, he's still a young quarterback. He still needs a run game. He still needs help in the play calling to get the ball out of his hands, build confidence early, and take that pressure off. Because right now, they're not doing it. They're getting down big. And now Baker feels like he has to do a lot. And all these people are pressing. And that's where the mistakes happen. And, you know... For me, just watching, I'm like, yo, they they still haven't figured that part out yet, um, and and you thought, like you said, it would be better because they seemed like they did figure it out last week against the Ravens. I always do the Cleveland Browns daily radio show after the game, and so I was talking with Nathan Zegar and Bo Bishop today, and. Mm -hmm. All of us wanted to have that one thing that we were going to say, you know what? The Browns need to change this, and they're going to be the Super Bowl quality team that we thought going into the season. And of, of course, obviously, that's not the way it works. There mm -hmm. isn't that one thing. And as I'm kind of racking my brain thinking, like, what is this team missing? What are we missing? And unfortunately, I came across the thing that they can't change, and it's experience, right? Yep. I always think about offensive consistency in the NFL is the key to being good offense. Unless you just are super explosive and you're scoring four times a game from 40 yards and out. Like mm -hmm. it, when Josh Gordon was at his best in what, 2013, yep. he would score from 60 yards out. Like yep. you as an offense can be dangerous if you have somebody that's making those plays consistently, but there's almost no offenses in NFL history who have that. Like, mm -hmm. Barry Sanders as a running back was one guy that comes to mind. Randy Moss as a receiver. Josh Gordon that one year in Cleveland. Outside of that, there's just 
NFL defenses are too good at taking those things away yep. and going the long, hard way consistently moving down the field is hard because on offense, all it takes is one person screwing up one time and now it's second and 10 or worse, second and 15 if it's a sack or second and 18 or third and nine. And then you get behind the sticks and it becomes really, really hard to overcome because your call sheet as an offensive coordinator doesn't have a lot of good high, high probability plays when you get behind the sticks, which is second and seven or longer and third and basically five or longer. Like those are hard downs to convert. And when you get in those situations, not having consistency, then you get these really bad third down conversion percentages like the Browns have right Mm -hmm. now. And that's been one of their issues. And so because they don't have the experience on that offense, not only within that offense, but also the players themselves are not experienced in the NFL. They lack consistency. And so they have to be this boom or bust offense where they're either hitting huge run plays or huge pass plays, or it's a three and out, which puts so much pressure on your defense because now your defense is always on the field. They're getting tired and they have so much pressure to be able to constantly get you the ball back so that you can hopefully hit some of those big plays that – I I think what you mentioned is a good step, maybe. Start hitting some of those quicker passes. Odell, Jarvis, those guys are made for the quick, short routes because Mm -hmm. they're so much quicker than everybody else. Um, The problem is defenses realize that too, so they're playing a lot of tighter coverages. They're forcing Baker to hold on to the football to try to push it down the field, which right now they're not comfortable doing that, and they're not doing it with any level of consistency. The first game of the year, it was penalties. Mm-hmm. And since then, it's just been inconsistency of throwing the football with a high percentage. Baker's completion percentage is among the lowest in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the games that they've played well, it's because they've run the ball consistently. So they're always in those second and fives or second and six or third and twos. And those are manageable situations. And then they do still have the opportunity to hit those home runs. So um, how do they get better at experience? Eh, I don't know. I I mean, this is it though. This is like, this is like the team. So you get better at experience by playing more, but how can you accelerate that? I guess is the real question. And so for me, the only really real answer, if I'm Freddie kitchens and his staff is I go into those meetings and I'm breaking down all the film we have right now through the first five weeks of the season. And I'm looking, what are our plays that are successful? Why were they successful? And then how do we show defenses different shifts, formations, and personnel groupings, but still end up running these plays that have given us success in the first five weeks of the season? Whatever they are, run pass, run pass option, quick throw, deep throw, whatever it is. What are those concepts my guys feel comfortable doing and then try to do them over and over again? But then they what they also need to do is what Kyle Shanahan drink was the best at as an offensive coordinator. And it is matching plays so that they look the same throughout until it changes. So their play actions look exactly like the runs until the last second when that quarterback pulls it and then throws it down the field. If it's a run pass option, it's going to look just like the run until the last second, and then it's going to be a throw. If it's a route combination, it's going to look just like those other combinations at the start, and then all of a sudden it's going to break differently. So I think those are the things that maybe that this coaching staff can focus on moving forward. Mm-hmm. It's always easier said than done because, right. like I said, what is this offense missing? Not talent, not coaching. I think these are good coaches. It's experience. 
And to be consistent in the NFL, you have to have experience. That's why Tom Brady, Drew Brees, those are the teams that win every single year. Experience. When things right now for the Browns are happening the way they expect, the way they practice, they look great. Offensively, they're hard to beat. As soon as things happen, not how they expected, not how they practice, they struggle because they don't have those experiences to fall back on. I always thought that the difference in an NFL game when you have two good teams comes down to like two or three plays. And usually those two or three plays happen in critical moments, third downs, late in the game, two-minute drill. And it's things that happen that you didn't practice and you didn't expect, but you as a player are falling back on prior experiences. Oh, I remember five years ago, we saw this blitz concept and we were able to change the protection and so we did it on the field to pick it up even before we got hit in the mouth went to the sideline and the coach corrected it and that just turned out to be the play that won the game i think back to the saints game that you made that big catch i don't know if you remember but the saints brought an all-out pressure Mm -hmm. and we changed the protection on the line of scrimmage to our max protect and i think you might have even been the only guy in that route basically They brought the entire house. And we knew in that situation when it was the got to have it situation right on the fringe area, either the Saints were going to drop everybody or they were going to blitz everybody. And we were ready for when they tried to blitz everybody, we could change the protection. And all Hoyer had to do is throw the ball up into the air to a Hawkins that stumbles over yep. the white paint on the field, yep, but it, still somehow maintains his great athleticism, catches the football, <laughs> and we win the game. And that's the difference a lot of times when you win or lose in the NFL. It's always that close. I actually got in trouble by Mike Pettin for calling timeout right after the play. He said, only I call timeouts. I'm like, dude, <laughs> that's like, that's great. What are you talking As about? you should have. Hey, right. man, there's a reason we have rules and discipline You're so right. that we can operate efficiently and effectively. This world does not revolve around Andrew Hawkins. True. You do not call the timeouts. I call the timeouts. <laughs> oh, goodness, man. All right. So long story short, Browns have some things still to figure out. And one of them <laughs> is uh, some that, up for us. that we won't be able to actually so. realize until further <laughs> down the line. All right. So beyond just the X's and O's of the game and, you know, us not playing well from a football standpoint, there's a lot of extracurricular and conversation around the game. We had uh, Nick Bosa, who is uh, Ohio State alum, getting back to a, a two-year-old vendetta against Baker Mayfield mm. where he planted a flag. Mm. Well, acted like he was planning a flag to get back at Baker and after the game flag. Nick had some comments I was kind of trying to talk I don't usually talk but this game he had it coming so but he didn't say one word back so what would you say just an example I don't know I was just screaming his name like Baker <laughs> Baker you good come on pick it up we want to challenge you yeah, stuff like that <laughs> so this was throughout the game, not just- now, that's a very weird post game interview but my question to you, Joe, is do you think because Baker, you know, is is not a guy who minces his words and he's okay with calling media out and, and, and shit talking, do you think that that's a reason why a lot of these defenses are giving people their best? Because, yes, the, the 49ers are a good football team. Let's call it what it is. And it's a good defense. It's a good defensive front. But they are not 31-3 better than the Browns. Right, they're playing. They were playing out of their mind for a lot of reasons. Do you think Baker's personality contributes to that? I was never a guy during my career who believed in added motivation. Mm-hmm. I always felt that players have so much pressure, living up to expectations, living up to their contracts, making sure that they go out on the field and perform every week. Because in the NFL business, you could be cut 
that Monday if you don't play well. So when you're an adult playing in the NFL, you have an entire family. You have a lot of people counting on you. And so each week is really, really super important. It's not like college where you're, you can't get cut. Like you have a scholarship for the whole year and they're not going to cut you if you go out and you drop a pass or miss a block. Like the pressure is real in the NFL. And so I always felt that this whole like added motivation thing was kind of bogus. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, somebody in the media said something silly and you know, said something disrespectful to me or to my team. I never really got any extra motivation because I was going out and giving my absolute hardest every single time. And offensively, I felt that was the the case. And when you're playing in the NFL, you kind of live in your offensive bubble. So you kind of hang out with the offensive guys. You spend all the times with them. Yeah, you practice against the defensive guys. You see them in the locker room. But for the most part, you just have this heavy offensive mind. And so I never really bought into the whole added motivation stuff. But now that I've been removed from the game and kind of taken more of a higher level uh-huh. view of things, I think – because offensive football, you can't just go harder and be better. Like you still have to be in control. There's technique, there's scheme, there's thought that a lot of thought and uh, quick decision making that you have to make uh-huh. to play offensive football. But overall, the most important thing to defensive football is playing hard. And you can always play a little bit harder. And so now that I am thinking about it more objectively, I think defensively, you can have added motivation in a game if you hate somebody on the other side, whether that be an offensive lineman who's been cutting your legs or who's been talking trash about you or a quarterback that's talking trash or that planted the flag on your college team's 50-yard line. And honestly, I do think that stuff is real for a defense. So I guess what I'm saying is offensively, if you call somebody out on defense, that's probably not a good decision because you are adding motivation to that defense, which can materially show up on the field by them playing harder and being more motivated. But if you're a defense calling an offense out, there's not really much more that I can do as an offense because you still have to play within control and just playing harder is not really as important for an offensive team. Uh, And so I think from Baker's perspective, it would be prudent to just, be measured with your approach with words and actions because clearly we heard Richard Sherman after the game saying he and his teammates wanted to humble Baker Mayfield. Well, let's for talk about that. We're the talk, actions. Let, let, let's talk handshake gate. And that was the same thing with Nick Bosa. He clearly wanted to humble and wanted to embarrass Baker Mayfield for what he did two years ago in college. So people are always watching. Go ahead. Sorry, that was a long soliloquy. All right, yes. Yeah, so you're talking about the Baker and other conversation around it was Richard Sherman's handshake gate. Everybody like supposedly rich said that one thing that hyped the, the 49ers defense up was the fact that Baker didn't shake their hands after the coin toss. Since there's been video evidence to show that Baker did shake Rich's hand at some point. And before there was the next caveat to the story, I told our producer, John, I was like, well, I bet Richard is talking about after the handshake toss. So how it works is there's always two instances where you shake hands with the opponent during a coin toss. When you come out in the field, there's a handshake situation. The coin is flipped. So-and-so is receiving the ball. So-and-so will kick off in this direction. Let's play ball. And essentially, we shake hands again and then go back to our sideline. Well, on the second one, Baker runs off before anybody else. And I guess that was was what Richard Sherman was referring to, that that kind of peed off some of the San Fran players because they felt like he didn't shake their hand then. Um, I don't know what to make of it, Joe, to be quite honest. What do you got for me? 
you're going to have those players that are always trying to find motivation in unique ways. Yeah. And I've said this before that Baker always tries to find motivation by other people slighting him, mm-hmm. right? Like things that they say or they do, and they may not even mean disrespect from it, but he always tries to grab that motivation because that's how he's kind of thrived throughout his career, going back to uh, thriving in the fact that he was a walk-on and that nobody gave him a chance. And that's been kind of the theme that he seems to operate the best under. And once I heard initially he didn't shake Richard Sherman's hand, I was like, wow, that's super disrespectful because, like you said, it's very common practice. You go to the coin flip, everyone kind of daps each other up, then you stand back and do the coin flip. But then the after coin flip dap is a little bit optional. A lot of times guys are kind of focused at that point. After the coin flip, especially if you're getting the ball, as an offensive player, I'm trying to get to the sideline, get my helmet, and get myself in that mindset of getting ready to go. And I'm sure I always thought it was kind of funny to dap up again. And so (laughs) I can kind of, I can kind of side with Baker in this one by saying like, it's not really common practice to double dap. Like sometimes it happens, but it's just always a little awkward. Yeah. And the fact that Richard Sherman apparently pulled a lot of motivation from that is a little bit shaky from, from my perspective. However, I think the message should not fall on deaf ears with Baker is like everything you do, can and will be used against you, just Absolutely, like the cops yep. when when I got arrested last weekend yep, I for uh, for loitering in my own house. That's what they told wife, you. wife and kids. Yep. They called the cops on me. Yep. yep. Uh, they they said everything you say can and will be used against you because that's how other players operate in the NFL, especially guys like Richard Sherman. Richard is a player that's been around a long time, and he's always looking for those different ways to motivate him. When you become an old head like Richard is. He's looking for ways to continue to keep himself excited and motivated because as exciting and crazy as the NFL is, once you've played 100, 150 games, like it becomes a little bit routine. I'm not saying mundane, but routine, routine and especially on defense. For it. You need to find a way to give yourself that little extra spark because it is about effort a lot on defense. Whereas on offense, we're all about being machines. We're just trying to be computers that if it's one plus one, we just spit out two without any emotion. Like that is our job. But defensively, you have to bring passion and emotion in order to play at a high level. Um, So, yeah, and clearly Richard Sherman used it for his defense, right? He's a leader of that defense. And. Like he's going to tell, like he's going to use any little bit he can to motivate them to get the best he can out of them on primetime television against the Cleveland Browns. We've got a lot of hype in the offseason. You know, for them afterwards, it's, I mean, they, they kicked our butts, man. So, really, what can we say? It doesn't really matter because they're on trying to be 5 and 0, and we're still trying to pick up the pieces for whatever it is it was on Monday night. This episode is brought to you by HP. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. This episode is brought to you by HelloSign, a Dropbox company. Sign documents 80% faster with HelloSign, the quickest way to get e-signatures for every type of document, so you can celebrate all those successful moments sooner. If you hate waiting for signatures, HelloSign is music to your ears. Try it for free today at hellosign.com. 
This episode is brought to you by Shell. College football is back! Where the game day excitement is felt in the bottom of your soul and voiced at the top of your lungs. But wherever you share your excitement, ESPN and Shell can take your fandom further with savings up to 15 cents per gallon for Fuel Rewards members at Shell. Welcome home, football fans. Terms and conditions apply. See fuelrewards.com slash fuelyourfandom for details. Shell is an official sponsor of ESPN College Football. ESPN, the ESPN logo, and ESPN College Football are registered trademarks of ESPN Incorporated. Speaking of defenders who do a lot of trash talking, we have a repeat guest coming to the Tomahawk Show. We're going to give Cam Jordan from the New Orleans Saints a call. Dial him up, Chris. Wednesdays are for the players. Travis Kelsey. This entire time I thought it was Tomahawk. Tomahawk. Kareem Jackson. Yeah. Do you believe in ghosts? Do I believe in ghosts? Yeah. Here we go. Saquon. One, One, two, two, three, four. four. I declare a thumb war. Do you think, Ma? Let's get it. It's Tomahawk Show. Now it is my pleasure here on the Tomahawk Show to welcome in the greatest Defend, no, not just defensive end. The greatest defender in the history of the NFL, New Orleans Saints, Cam Jordan. Cam, what's going on, man? I don't know. Look, we have to change this title. There's, there's a lot of great defenders in this world. I can't be the greatest of them. Greatest I'm ever. aiming to be one of them one day. No, it's already. Once you came on the show, it's sealed the deal. Huh. Perfect, perfect. Well, I appreciate you having me on, big brother. Absolutely. All right, man, let's let's kick things off with the Saints, man. Y'all y'all are on a 3-0 run since Drew Brees got hurt. First question, when Drew went down, what was what was your mindset as a team? Like, cuz I know for us in Cleveland, when our quarterback goes down, the, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever cuz we had a ton of them in Cleveland, as you know. Um, we would it would be a little demoralizing. So was that you guys, or were you like, yeah, no, nah, we're all good. We know what we got in Teddy. Uh, yeah, I mean, we know we have in Teddy, but at the same time, uh, there was so early in the game, we had so many chances to, to try to really take over the game and alleviate uh, some pressure off of our offense. I mean, there was an 87-yard scramble touchdown by Cameron Jordan that uh, was taken away <laughs> somehow, Oh, uh, and, you know, which would have gave us forward momentum. Um, you know, there was another play where we thought we, you know, we could have capitalized upon, and that would have gave us some momentum. And that's what you need. I mean, when you have uh, one of the greatest of all times in Drew Brees, uh, no cap. I mean, mm. uh, he's clearly a first round Hall of Famer. He's clearly going to go down as you know top two, if not uh, number one, uh, best quarterback of all times. Um, and that's up for debate. But I mean, it's a wonderful, it's an arguable debate. Um, Mm. You talk about when he goes down, what do we have to do as a team? We have to do be a team. I mean, a team is comprised of, you know, 40, what is it, 46 active on game day? This yep. is something that the other 45 have to take over. And we have Teddy Bridgewater. It's not like we're just throwing somebody in who never started the game. It's not like we're throwing in, uh, you know, refraining from, the, from, from discouraging backup quarterbacks around the league, uh, but just a regular guy who isn't cut out to be a starter. We have a Pro Bowl caliber uh a former Pro Bowl caliber uh, quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater, so it's on. It's on the team. Right. What characteristics did you see from Teddy before he was starting that led you to believe, like, hey, now that he's taking over, we still believe in this team, and we think that he can lead us until Drew Brees comes back. Um, I mean, you talk about we watched him grow this past year since we traded him, uh, traded for him last year. We watched him grow. I mean, you, we, we saw him coming from the Jets. You saw, you know, maybe his leg wasn't 100% last year until midseason last year. But once once you saw him keep growing, the progression that happened, uh, and the fact that the organization believed in him enough to, uh, you know, 
bring him back this year and the fact that he wanted to come back this year just to learn from one of the greatest minds of football just shows you w- what we believe in and what he believes in. I mean, we believe in that we have a strong team. We believe in, you know, we have a strong quarterback in Drew Brees. We believe we have a strong uh, quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. And so you hate to see Drew go down, but you see the work that Teddy puts in and you see it starting to pay off this week. And as long as we continue growing, that's the nature of the game. As long as it's always a continuance of growth that I think that we're going to continue to be a strong team. We know that Drew Brees has said that he's going to play well into his 60s, but at that point when Drew Brees finally decides to step away, is Teddy Bridgewater the next franchise quarterback for the next decade in New Orleans? I, I mean, I'd hope so. You, you know, the way that uh, – I'm not sure how, you know, contracts work out and the way future works out, but somebody's going to offer my man uh, a, a bigger deal than, you know, maybe we can we – can. Um, and when you talk about everything that Teddy Bridgewater has been this last couple of games, if he continues his growth, he deserves all of it. Uh, when I say yes in a couple of years, would I love him to be the face of, the, uh, of a quarterback franchise for, for us? Sure. When Drew decides to you know, relinquish that, that helm. But until you know, Drew says he's done playing, I don't have to worry about that. These are organizational problems, not a Cam Jordan problem. Cam, tell me this. Is Drew Brees better than Tom Brady? Do you think he's better than Tom Brady? Come on. Do you, 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 you want me to answer that? That's like saying, is, is Kobe Bryant better than LeBron James? If we're going to go off the mm-hmm. argument of rings alone, uh-huh. you can have that argument. We're going to go off stats. We're going to go off yards. Come on. So, you, you know, we're going to go off how many 5,000-yard seasons Drew has consistently put up versus Tom Brady? I, I'll take that argument. Okay. All right, I like so it. Sounds like uh, sounds like Drew Brees in a landslide. <laughs> yeah, not even close. All right, rank rank the top like QBs in your division. <laughs> give me give me the top top QBs in your division. Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, um, one and two. Yeah, Matt Ryan. Okay. Cam Newton, Kyle Allen, uh, Jameis Winston, somewhere in there. Jameis Winston. I mean, hmm. once you get past number one, I mean. It's, there's no particular order. Once you get past one and two, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell us to rank the quarterbacks and then say in no particular order, I'm going to name all the quarterbacks in the division. Yeah, That's no, not how it works. <laughs> he gave every single one. Are you a big Jameis Winston fan? Because I've seen, seen a video of him using your helmet to get up. What, what was that? Uh, do you remember that play? Bro, I mean, slightly. At that point, I had let go of him like three times. He had escaped my grasp. It wasn't like <laughs> I was so frustrated with myself. <laughs> by, the, by the time I finally like got him down, I was like this, like this utter sense of relief. I don't even remember him pushing off me. I was just like, I'm just going to sit here and bask in this moment. Like, <laughs> ah, all right. Because we were having a sack party, and I was the only one knocking at the door, not getting let in. Right. I was, I, was, I, was like the, uh, I was like the three brothers in house party. I was just trying to break into the house party. I just couldn't get in for some reason. I'm going to break his fucking legs. Uh, what about your homeboy's worm? That was, I got to tell you, Cam, I know that's uh, your boy. It was the worst worm I've ever seen in my life, man. Man. I, it wasn't a worm. Look, I get it. He's a late 90s kid. I, I Like... We watched the film of it so many times. But what's so funny is if you replay it, like I'm walking towards him, like, yeah, that's my, like, what are you doing? Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. Wait, like, what's going on here? Head, yeah, my whole head tilts and I just can't register. I'm like, was that supposed to be the word? <laughs> I'm going to ride with you because you're my guy. We're going to talk about this on the side. I even made fun of him on the side. I was like, bro, I don't know what you're doing. I think you were doing push-ups with leg kicks. But I mean, that was his first, that was his first sack. I'm going to excuse him because he's a rookie who got his first sack. <sighs> 
if that thing ever pops up again, it's, it's, I don't know what's going to happen. Plus, it was second down. Get your butt back to the line of scrimmage, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so in the offensive line room, if you ever embarrass yourself or embarrass your unit, uh, we gave you a conduct unbecoming fine, which was very significant in the offensive line kangaroo court. Was there anything similar in the D line room, or did you guys just bust his ass about how stupid the worm was? <laughs> it's, it's it's like a you know it's like I just let let him go. I'm like yo, like we're gonna let this ride because it was your first sack and you were overzealous and like oh, you did a great job. <laughs> so I'm not, but like we don't even have a finding system, and I was like yo, we we're finding you. I don't know what we're finding you yet, but we're finding you. You know, we're gonna make them you know, buy his dinner or something because it has to it has to be ingrained in them that. That terrible what? celebrations don't get celebrated. I don't get like how that's your first sack and you decide, you're I'm gonna do the worm. But not only am I gonna do the worm, I'm gonna do the reverse worm. And I've clearly never practiced before. <laughs> so this is the first time I'm ever gonna do the reverse never. worm ever. Never. And after my first sack is when I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it out. That was that was bad decision making. Yo, Cam, do you have any like beef in the NFL? Uh do I? I hope not. No, like, I feel like, like I gun after all my quarterbacks in, in the NFC South though. Yeah. I definitely do. I feel like I, I probably have like some tight beef with everybody. Has has beef ever spilled out like past the field? Like when you've seen somebody in the off season? Because that happens to me sometimes. That happened to me during my career, where it was like, yo, we we were talking trash on the field, or like you know trading jabs a couple times, and then we run into each other in the off season, and the beef was still very much real. Have you ever had that situation? But I don't know. Look, look, the fact of the matter is, like, most people I'm beefing with is, like, offensive linemen. And I don't, like... Uh, and where are you going to see No, you then? know, like, yeah. offensive linemen really don't care after after the game. <laughs> like, as much stuff as we talk between each other, I'm, I'm expecting beef. Like, when I see him in the offseason, I'm like, yo, what's up? Yeah, did you, you said something about... He's like, what? It's very seldom <laughs> you see somebody off, off, you know, field and it's, like, still on site. Right. For me, I keep like all like I'm here for all I'm here for all smoke internally. I'm like, yeah, I was like, yo, yeah, I see him. Like, what's up? Like, bro, oh, right, right. That was that was a football game to you. Okay, okay. Now that was life for me. That's funny. All right. But you're a big trash talker too, so you're a fan of trash talking. So my question for you is this: All right, Baker Mayfield making a lot of headlines with his bravado and the things he says to all players and you know reactions to the media and how he carries himself. What's your take on the Baker Mayfield aura? I don't know, bro. Um, when we played the Browns last year, Tyrod Taylor was there. We didn't have to worry about it. I don't, I mean, it's not like, it's just a quarterback. He's naturally a, a good person, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that's him. You don't think it's him? I don't, I get that he's, yeah, I, I get that he's dangerous or whatever it is, but as a quarterback, <laughs> like, you're not getting hit but eight times a game. You're never getting hit in practice. Like, just calm down, relax, enjoy your, your, your drop steps and throw the ball. I don't. <laughs> Like you're not going to physically intimidate anybody, right? Unless you're maybe Ben Roethlisberger or Cam Newton, and you have size to you. Baker Mayfield is a smaller quarterback. You know, yeah. could you imagine Russell Wilson talking talking hella junk? <laughs> you just you like, all right, I guess. Good for you. And the next time I sack you, now I have to pile drive you. I don't know. Like, come on. Russell Wilson said, or excuse me, uh, Richard Sherman, not Russell Wilson. You got me thinking about short quarterbacks, and uh, I can't <laughs> speak now. But uh, Richard Sherman said in the game last night that 
their defense wanted to humble Baker Mayfield because of all the things that happened up until the game. And then I guess there was a handshake fiasco that happened at the coin flip. Uh, but you guys on defense and the Saints defense in particular, have you ever felt like you wanted to go into a game and try to humble somebody that you felt like was getting a little too big for their britches? I don't know. Honestly, I sort of like it sort of keeps me week to week. I don't even know the last time we had a good a good team scrum with somebody else. Is that what you I, yeah. When's the last time there was a real altercation? It was, it's probably been a while. Tampa, um, probably. I for think you. the last really good. Yeah, I mean the last. Eh, no, I think it was like Tampa, or not Tampa, uh, Carolina, a couple years back when uh, Cam Newton had like scored a touchdown and did his little like open up the shirt uh, situation, whatever the Superman, maybe the, the, the suit, whatever his little thing is. Yeah. Um, and you know. <laughs> my boy got in his face or maybe I got into his face and then I let it go and my boy jumped into his face and then Mike Tolbert had grabbed him and I grabbed Mike Tolbert and then it was, it was like a full-on like a little brawl situation. I think that's the last good one. What about the Mike Evans joint where Jameis came off the sideline? Wasn't that last year? Maybe two yeah, years like ago. Yeah, like I said, it's a quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, but we don't, not, like, nobody takes the quarterback serious, like, <laughs> uh, in terms of, like, physicality. You take, you take a quarterback serious in terms of the damage he can do on the field with his arm, his vision, his awareness, don't let him scramble. A fight? Nobody, like, come on. Come uh, on. That's not who you are. Be, be you. We, in fact, I'm pretty sure we laughed about it. Like, like why did Jameis just rush the field right there? Like, nobody, <laughs> nobody takes the quarterback serious rushing the field. Dang. You have to, like, you show me that you're a monster before we actually, like, treat you like one. Yeah, I've I've never believed in the whole like extra motivation thing. Like you hear about locker room uh, bulletin board material, and I never bought into that. I always thought that was kind of like high school hairy stuff, or like things that college coaches use to motivate players. But did you ever go into a game and feel like offended by what somebody said in the media, or somebody's been doing into that week, and you felt like this extra motivation, like you really wanted to beat them very bad in that game? Uh, no, I don't think so. I feel like. Great yeah, minds think alike, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, how's that going to help me beat this block? Like, I know I got this chip <laughs> block coming. Anything that he's talking about, what is that going to do for me? In fact, I probably said something. I'm like, ah, I shouldn't have said that. But at the same time, I don't care enough. And if he does care, we'll just settle it on the field. I don't know. Yeah, like, at some point, you know, pre-trash talk doesn't do anything for you. Right. Cam, do you remember losing to us in Cleveland in 2014? Oh, that was a glorious game. Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. <laughs> Somehow, like, you know, we got this all-out blitz and you catch this little, you catch one and, and, and like, stealing the game or whatever it was. I was just like, come on. Yeah, man. Like, there's only one receiver you had to worry about at the time. Hey, I like that. We it's, gonna, it's not like we knew. I'm a highlight tape. How much did you pay for like, that, Hawk? I mean, it's not like we knew who was going to sling, sling the rock in terms of, you know, in terms of the quarterback. It was just another guy. It was one of the 55 Joes out there trying to protect. <laughs> That's one of the, that was like a Super Bowl for us. When we look back, like you have to look back at real, real big time playoff wins you've had in your career. For me and Joe, games like that where we beat individual teams we thought were good, it was like, those are like playoff games to us. Like, yeah, you remember we beat the Saints in 2014 in week two? Oh, that was amazing. Yeah, you, you may talk about your big Super Bowl wins and things like that, <laughs> but we talk about that awesome week four victory over the Saints by two points. And we finished we seven and nine that yeah. season. Yeah, what was it uh, like? We won nine to six. That was a glorious game, let me tell you. <laughs> All right, Cam. We ain't going to hold you too much longer, man. We know you're enjoying. Is you guys off day Tuesdays? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, I just got done uh, helping host a little play football experience for the, uh, the St. Benilde kids. 
uh, elementary. So, oh, you, you know, I'm on, my, I'm on my regular off, off day height. I love it. I love it. Tell me this. You still, uh, you big fans of officials still? Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a, just going to preach uh, growth and prosperity as long as, you know, <laughs> everybody's still uh, trying to get 1% better every day. Uh, uh, I, I preach nothing but blessings and positivity blessings. towards so said refs that may or may not have it out for the Saints and or myself with any touchdown <laughs> I try to get this year. <sighs> I've, yeah. I've, been, I've been reeling against this new pass interference review. I think it's the dumbest thing the NFL has ever done. But one thing I said, instead of reviewing pass interference, they should review the roughing the passer calls because it seems like every week the refs continue to screw up pa- uh, roughing the passer calls in the favor of the offense and the quarterbacks. Would you get behind me by changing the rule where you can't overturn pass interference anymore, but you can challenge and overturn a bad roughing the passer Bro, call? Bro, he's the reason we have that rule. Like if he would, if Cam Jordan specifically. I, I believe I asked. Would- wouldn't Cam have Jordan made such question, a big deal Andrew Hawkins. about the Rams call, which was it was a it was a, it, you could have called that one either way. Am I right, Joe? If, I think it was a coin flip. I don't think they would have overturned. Based on the standard that I've seen set this season, they would not have overturned that call because you have to actually put somebody in handcuffs and bury them into the ground to get a pass interference overturned in today's NFL. <laughs> Even though that was the big change for the off season. Yeah, I, I, look, I can't speak on it after things oh. happen. You just look at them like. You know, um, there could have been there could have been one that went against us this this past game. Um, yeah. I said it early on after the decision was made. I was like, you know, whether it it helps us or hurts us later on, this is something that had to have been addressed. Um, and the uh, you know, I, I still don't know whether it was a right or wrong call to to make such a rule. So I just play within the, within the confinement. Hell, I'm I'm still too worried about trying not to hit a quarterback too hard. Yeah, you wouldn't want to do that. It's all it's a football and all. Yeah, you you actually play football and, and accidentally tackle a quarterback. It might be rough in the passers. I, at this point, I don't know anymore. <laughs> it would be so funny that if when Cam retires, he actually becomes an NFL official. That would. I be, think he'd be a good official. I've been thinking about great. it, bro. I've been thinking about it. I'm gonna let the players play. They'll never let me. They'll never let me. They'll never let you. They won't even let you inquire about it, Cam. <laughs> All right. Well, look, man. We appreciate you joining us here on the Tomahawk part the second time. There's not many people who've had multiple appearances on the Tomahawk show, but you are one of the, the, the greatest defenders of all time, if not the greatest defender, like we said earlier. All right, Cam. Enjoy your off day, brother. Appreciate you. Thanks, Cam. All right, perfect. Yeah, man. Peace. All right, Cam Jordan, man, he's a fun dude. My favorite part about Cam is that he honestly and truly doesn't care what he says. His dad played in the league, and I've had this conversation with him before. He's like, dude, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I'll say whatever I want to, and if they don't like it, when they see me in person, they can address it. Cam is a very big dude, if you guys are wondering at home, um, of why he, he acts like that nobody can touch him. He is a very, very big dude. Let's talk giveaways. You know we love hooking up our listeners whenever we can. Two weeks ago, we gave away a copy of NBA 2K Legendary Edition for PlayStation 4. We're back with another giveaway, dishing out a copy of NBA 2K Legendary Edition for Xbox One. All right, we asked you guys to write your funniest five-star review on the Tomahawk Show page, and you guys definitely came through. There were some great reviews, and it had us all cracking up here in the studio. Listen, you can check us out on on Twitter, 
for some of our favorites. We're going to post them there. Although there were several hilarious reviews, we could only choose one. And that winner is Max Joseph. Okay, we'll be reaching out to you this week to get your info. If you didn't win this time, don't worry. We got a ton more giveaways for you throughout the season. So keep your eyes open and your ears locked. As always, thanks for supporting and checking out the award-winning five-star reviewable Oscar, Emmy, and Tony-nominated Tomahawk Show. All right, Hawk. This is the moment that I have been waiting for for at least 10 days. We have an extremely exciting announcement. Yes. The Tomahawk Show is coming live. Wow. To Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> Wednesday, November 13th, we are going to be live yep. at the famous almost infamous house of blues in cleveland ohio i cannot be more excited i got to watch the one and only hansen brothers at the house of blues <laughs> like 10 years ago for my wife's birthday did they and say ever up? since that moment i said i want to be like those guys i want to be up on that stage someday making magic for thousands of fans i was thinking we're kind of like the beatles and you kind of knocked me off my horse to say we're like the Hanson brothers, but <laughs> so we, me and you, we couldn't be any more like the Hanson brothers. <laughs> we're absolutely those people in every single way. Three Mormon boys from Utah, <laughs> white boys with long hair, yep. never played a lick of football in their life. You and me, um, bopping our way through society, ha- baby. Hard Scrabble, Salt Lake City. <laughs> I tell you what, it makes me very excited. Let me tell you, pre-sale tickets will go on sale October 9th at 11 a.m. Eastern. You can head on over to the Tomahawk Show Twitter account. There's a link right there for pre-sale tickets. Use the passphrase Gold Rush to purchase. VIP ticket holders will get a chance to hang out with you and me pre-show and get some preferred seating. I am really excited because this might be the first opportunity for you and I to participate in the Kyle Shanahan drinking game that we play every single week. And the fun part is fans will be able to play right along with us because last time I checked, last time I was there for the Hanson show, the House of Blues sells the booze. Oh, I like it. Head on over to the Tomahawk Twitter show for pre-sale tickets. This is pretty awesome because this is on the eve of the Thursday night football matchup between the vaunted Pittsburgh Steelers and hated and our Cleveland Brownies. Very exciting stuff. Yep. This will be our first live show, like I mentioned earlier. So anything goes. There clearly will be lots of Browns talk. There's going to be lots of Browns former guests. None of the players that are currently on the team because they'll but be maybe. in a hotel we under might be lock able to and sneak key. Them out. So hopefully we're going to sneak them out. But if not, we've got plenty of legends backing up. And it's going to be a raucous night. I cannot wait to meet so many members of the Tama Flock and to enjoy you one-on-one, live and in person, which is not something I get to do all that much anymore, being that you're a big Hollywood celebrity, and I'm just sticking to my feeble roots in the Midwest. In your 30,000-foot square-foot mansion. (laughs) 15-bedroom mansion with four swimming pools, three hot tubs, and two waterfalls, and a grotto. (laughs) Yeah, so we got a live show, dude. I I can't wait. I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. I'm just hoping we don't screw it up. I'm hoping that Tomaflock, when they come out, they're going to get their money's worth. 
And that's something, Joe, that we can't measure with an abacus. Can't measure that Can with we an talk abacus. about the catchphrase? We haven't talked about that yet. This is the perfect time. So if, if you've been living under a rock, we have a catchphrase that we do every week. single week that we then go push on all the TV media that we do. Last week, we had the famous Colleen Wolf on, and she wanted to participate in the game. She was like, whoa, this is awesome. Can I get in? And the phrase we landed on was you can't measure that with an abacus. So shout out Corey Easterday, who tweeted us that you can't measure that with an abacus. We, we ran with that. And it's only Tuesday at, at the taping of this show. And me and Colleen have already lived up to it. We, we were on uh, Total Access. And it's a great catchphrase, and it works perfectly. Joe, you still have Thursday Night Football where you have to uh, hold up your end of the bargain. But we have, do we have audio clip? We got audio clip. Here's me and the great Colleen Wolf paying the piper, as they say. Had more? That's pretty crazy. So his talent, it can't be measured by an advocate. We don't have to see that. <laughs> <laughs> we got another one. Play it. The football. Even if Garoppolo doesn't have to pass it all over the field, this is a solid team win, and you can't measure that with an abacus. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> Dude. Oh, we, we, we were talking about this off air because uh, – Unlike most people think, Hawk and I actually do get along really good. And we have a lot of laughs before we roll the mic sometimes. And I was laughing because I'm like, I saw those those shows that you guys did. And I go, did your boss say anything after you got off the set? Because if I was your boss, I would have fired both of your asses right away. Because you did not drop those in any type of context. And as soon as you did it, you give this stink eye to the camera, which makes me laugh. Um, but then, you know what the consensus was after talking with the great John Fontanelli? We said that there's actually some good crossover because the Tama flock is large and growing and yeah. has a very, very huge presence. And to get them to go watch you on Total Access and then vice versa, they have the Total Access crew watch uh, and listen to the Tama flock and the Tomahawk show is uh, it's pretty good. It's like one of those rare situations where you can be silly and goofy on TV and it can be a win-win for both parties. So Absolutely. Uh, until... Until Roger Goodell, who's, I guess, everybody's boss at the NFL Network, calls me personally and says, you can't keep making fun of my television shows by making a mockery (laughs) of it with saying stupid stuff. We're going to keep saying stupid stuff. So Tomahawk, make sure you call the Tomahawk hotline. Make sure you tweet us at Tomahawk Show and let us know what you want next week's catchphrase to be. I have one chance this week to nail it because I only go on TV once a week, unlike the great Andrew Hawkins, who's... (laughs) on your television almost daily. I'm going Thursday Night Football. This week, it's in New England versus the New York Giants, and I'm going to knock it out of the park. And hopefully, Steve Smith doesn't punch me and knock me out of my chair when I say it because he's not afraid to call you out on saying some stupid stuff. Well, for reference, I thought I was using it in context, so... I don't really know the right context to say you can't measure that. With I don't think there's any context that yeah. you can use that with. All right, so that maybe, maybe we'll start getting some catchphrases that, I guess, fit closer in the context. But shout out to Colleen. This is my favorite game yeah. in the history of any game we've ever played, including And football. let's say real quick, <laughs> Colleen was on with us uh, at the show that we did Sunday night that uh, comes out on Monday. And if you haven't caught that show, you got to go back and listen. If nothing else, just listen to that interview with Colleen because mm-hmm. she is so fun. She's both of our, our coworker and she is an amazing talent. She was so fun on the interview and she's so gracious and wonderful at what she does. She's definitely a rising star. And I, I read her Wikipedia bio before we had her on and she was named like one of the 40 under 40 most important and influential sports media personalities wow. uh, 
of 2019 and she's definitely living up to that billing because she's awesome she's beloved by anybody so if you want to follow her she's on twitter at colleen wolf two l's two e's only one n all right wolf the lone wolf so make sure you follow her send her props send her tomafluck love and don't forget to send us a catchphrase for next week that's as ridiculous as you can't measure that with an abacus. Right. I love it, man. Maybe we'll get Colleen to join us for the live show. We have some special guests coming for that show, so stay tuned because we are putting together. Everyone's knocking our door down. We had uh, David Hasselhoff called, Brad Pitt, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, um, Flavor Flav called us, Buster Rhymes wants to get back on, so we're just trying to cipher through everybody and all the requests to come join us for our live show November 13th in Cleveland. Be there, be square. We got one more voicemail that DJ Chris is going to drop for us. What do we got? Uh, the more I'm sitting here just pissed about this game tonight, you know, I just keep thinking and thinking, and I'm going to blame you two. I'm going to blame you, uh, <laughs> Joe Thomas, and you, Andrew Hawkins. Because you created this monster that's now called Kyle Shanahan. You created him. You created the beatdown that came tonight by glorifying Kyle Shanahan and saying his name 32 times and getting me to drink at 10 a.m. this morning every time you say his name. He's going to haunt me in my dreams tonight. He's going to haunt me the next week. I just can't quit thinking about freaking Kyle Shanahan, man. Joe Hawk yourself. <laughs> hey, by the way, so I, when I was taking over the Tomahawk Twitter account last night, the last thing I posted was Kyle Shanahan, I think, a hundred times. <laughs> and I didn't know if that was only funny to me or if everyone yeah. was going to see that as humorous as well. Uh, but I felt like all those people out there that were following and playing the drinking game um, yep. needed a, a more of a reason to make themselves feel happy. So yep. you're welcome. You're welcome. A hundred shots later, you're welcome. Hopefully nobody went to the hospital after that because <laughs> yeah. that would have been deadly. You needed to drink yourself to sleep after that game. All right, that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show. We appreciate you guys listening. Again, rate us five stars. Leave us a review. Hit us up on our social accounts at Tomahawk Show. Leave the voicemails. As you can see, it's a huge part of this show, and we appreciate you joining us uh, in the broadcast and being a part of it with us. Joe, you got final thoughts? Final thoughts today on the week that Jay Gruden has fired in Washington from the Redskins. The popular thought from the national media is that, oh, Dan Snyder is a bad owner. He's too overbearing. Jay Gruden just wasn't a good coach. It was probably partly his fault. And all the blame seems to be centered right there, but they're totally missing whose fault the disaster right now in Washington, D.C. is. And I know Hawk's thinking right now, it goes all the way back, and it's RG3's fault. But no, not so fast, my friend. That would have been easy. RG3 is not to blame. This is actually a serious take. Uh Kirk Cousins is the one to blame in Washington. (laughs) Why? Because in today's NFL, if you want to win, you need to either be really good and have your franchise quarterback or really bad and have a high draft pick to be able to get your franchise quarterback. But when you're stuck in the middle, that is the worst place in the NFL to be. And Sashi Brown correctly identified that when he took over the Browns and said, there's no reason to be 500 we in the NFL. Suck. We don't There's suck no enough. reason to be seven and nine. You either need to be absolute doggy doo-doo or you need to be in the playoffs because being in the middle only is going to perpetuate and lengthen the amount of time that you're in the middle. So Kirk Cousins being just good enough to almost make the playoffs and to keep him around getting franchised, 
only extended their misery, yep. and then they were never bad enough to go and get the top quarterback in the draft, but yet they were never good enough to go win a Super Bowl or get to the playoffs. So what does the Vikings do? They go ahead and sign Kirk Cousins. And where are they right now? Kind of in the middle of the pack. <laughs> yep. And they're going to be stuck there because Kirk Cousins is not good enough to lead you to the playoffs in the Super Bowl, but he's not bad enough to get everybody fired and to get your team a high draft pick. So in today's NFL... You do not want to have a middle-of-the-road quarterback, and the Washington Redskins can blame the middle-of-the-road Kirk Cousins for their current failure. Don't buy the hype that it was Jay Gruden or Dan Snyder or whoever else, or even RG3, Yep, but blame they falls squarely on Kirk Cousins' shoulders. I, I love it because when you have a middle-of-the-pack quarterback, you can only get middle-of-the-pack quarterbacks. Like when you're seven and nine, and then you're looking in free agency. Yep. Only middle of the pack quarterbacks are available in free agency. Alex Smith. That's right. Yeah, like you just Alex Smith. continue the cycle of middle of the pack quarterbacks. Amazing. All right, well, that's it for this edition of Tomahawk Show. Um, Cam Jordan, take us out. Go hawk yourself. <laughs>